Hi, welcome to New Zealand Vegan Podcast. This is episode 32. And I'm very, very pleased to welcome back to the show Professor Gary L. Francione. Professor Francione is a distinguished professor of law and a Nicholas Dippy Katzenberg Scholar of Law and Philosophy at Rutgers University School of Law in Newark, New Jersey. He has authored several books, including Vivisection and Dissection in the Classroom, A Guide to Conscientious Objection, Animals, Property and the Law, Rain Without Thunder, The Ideology of the Animal Rights Movement, Introduction to Animal Rights, Your Child or the Dog, Animals as Persons, Essays on the Abolition of Animal Exploitation. And there is a new book coming out, which we discussed briefly at the end of the interview. So I really hope that you enjoy the interview with Professor Francis. Thanks for listening. Okay, so I'd like to welcome to the show today Gary Francione. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Elizabeth. It's very, very nice to be back with you. I'm impressed by the work that you're doing and I'm happy to be part of it. Well, thank you very much. And I must say, welcome to Twitter. <laughs> well, you know, Elizabeth, not only have I have I, uh, I, I I've opened a Facebook account. Again, these are things that ha- I had to be dragged into by <laughs> by various people uh, because I'm not um, a, a technical sort of person. Indeed, um, you know, my view is has uh, has been well. You know, you write books, you write articles, you get the ideas out, you go, you give lectures, uh, you talk with people, um, and um, and it it, it that's how you do it, but I understand that in the 21st century, um, there are these these uh, fora available, and that a lot of uh, young people like to participate in them, uh, in these what are called social networking ish uh, uh, situations, which I find somewhat peculiar. <laughs> but I, but you know, look, I mean, I, I can change with the times, uh, and so I was I, I I have I'm on Twitter. I haven't yet started with Facebook because I'm. I'm still preoccupied with finishing my my book, but you know it's interesting, Elizabeth. I I uh, I saw an essay that was referred to on Twitter uh, uh, a couple of days ago, and it was on a blog uh, that is um, run by an abolitionist advocate in Canada. the uh, The name of the uh, the blog is uh, or the website is um, My Face Is on Fire, and so it was referred to on Twitter. And I is it Twitter or Twitter? How do you what is is it Twitter? What, what is the, Twitter, you Twitter okay. and then when you leave a message, you're tweeting. It's a tweet. Oh, thank you, thank you for that. You see, you learn you learn something <laughs> I new. I just learn that myself. You learn something new every day, um, and so um, so I read the essay uh, written by uh, this uh, this person, and it was an extremely well written, professional um, analysis and. And critique of the um, the welfare reform positions that are advocated by the Humane Society of the United States, and and a a, a particularly focusing on the the fact that welfare reform and these campaigns for welfare reforms create sort of a strange symbiosis between uh, the welfareists and industry, and and so they end up sort of. Um, you, you, you know, you end up having animal wel- welfare people saying, "Look, you know, we're really trying to work with industry. We're trying to help industry," which is true. They are. Um, and 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 her point was that's a problem. Uh, that that raises uh, um, 
uh, moral issues. It also raises issues of practical strategy as to whether that, that's a good thing to do. And these are issues, of course, with which, uh, I mean, I, I agree with the writer of that essay uh, wholeheartedly. I've been, uh, I've been saying these sorts of things for a long time now. And so I agree with her. And so I read this essay. I thought, this is a very, very good essay. And then I noticed that there were some comments that had immediately followed that were um, – I had to go back and reread her essay because I didn't think that they were referring to the same uh, sort of uh, that, that they were referring to the same essay because they were accusing her of of uh, vilification and 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 you know and attacking and and expressions of wrath and stuff. And I went back and I said, all she's done is express disagreement. And and so I then weighed in and and then other people started weighing in. And now there are almost about I guess uh, well they're probably by now, a hundred comments um, to this uh, to her essay, and I think it's really worth uh, people to go and, and and read the exchange because I think first of all uh, uh, you can learn a lot about the debate between the abolitionist and the welfareist position. Um, but secondly, you can see a very very interesting phenomenon that comes up again and again and again. It's been coming up for the uh, the the now going into three decades I've been doing this, and that is. The phenomenon of any sort of criticism of the welfareist position is is um, immediately characterized in very pejorative ways as bashing or vilification or you know if you if you don't approve of welfare reform you don't really care about the animals and a lot of it's it's just very very interesting or you're a ta- you know so and so is a great welfareist and spends a lot of his time doing this work and therefore your attack of him is horrible and scurrilous and whatnot and and um it's it's very interesting to me you know as a sort of a matter of of just sociological uh, a, a, a phenomena as a sociological phenomenon to sort of there's no discussion there's no debate there's no um, no one's really trying to engage no one on the welfare side is really trying to engage this issue substantively what they're trying to do is to sort of characterize any criticism as the refusal to accept that we need to help animals who are suffering now and as an attack on um, anybody who is promoting welfare reform. And what's interesting is it's, it's neither it, – I mean it, it, they've got it wrong. Um, this, it, the debate is not about attacking um, welfareists, at least not from my perspective and not from the perspective of, of the people that I am aware of who are working in this area. And that is no one's really – no one's making a judgment. I'm, not, I'm certainly not making a judgment about, you know, per, about the personal integrity or, or of the sincerity or whatever of the people – who are uh, involved in welfare reform. Um, I know many of them personally, um, I, and, and I, I, I'm not making any, any moral judgments about them. I like some of these people, actually. Um, but that's not the point. The, the point is, is that this, this, the, the, the whole structure is, is corrupt in that these welfare groups, in order to survive, uh, basically are forced into becoming advisors to the animal agricultural industry in which they're basically you know working with animal agriculture and trying to make animal agriculture economically beneficial for producers of animal products and and this activity does not have any positive benefit for animals that is it's not that there are wonderful things happening and there are significant welfare benefits that are being provided for animals as a result of these welfare reforms. I would, I, I, I would still have a philosophical, theoretical problem with, with supporting these reforms 
even if they did, you know, even if they were providing, rem, you know, remarkable improvements in, in in animal welfare. But Elizabeth, the reality is they're not. These are, you know, they're not doing that at all. They're, they, you know, they're 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 um, you know, cage free eggs. Um, and you know, first of all, let's talk about the gestation crate and the veal crate. This is the, you know, this is these are big big issues with the animal welfare people. The gestation crate and the well and the and the and the veal crate are on their way out anyway. They are economically inefficient ways of raising animals. The animal, the 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 agricultural economists have pointed out quite clearly. Um, that gestation that, that that alternatives to the gestation crate, like electronic sow feeding, for example, increases productivity and increase you know it, it is beneficial for producers in all sorts of ways. Um, the veal crate, um, you know, one of the well, there are many problems with the veal crate, but one of the problems from the standpoint of producers is that um, that that the that is that. Veal crates, because they create such stress with the animals, the same is the same true of gestation crates. But because these sorts, these intensive methods create such stress on animals, they they create all sorts of veterinary problems. And and to the extent that money has to be spent on animals to for veterinary care in order to get them to slaughter, that that's that's an opportunity cost that ends up having to be factored into production cost. And and both gestation crates and electronic sow feeding are clearly economically inefficient. If you were starting a veal operation today, if you were starting a, a pig raising operation today, you, you would be irrational to use these two methods of confinement. Um, if you were starting from scratch and you didn't have to worry about capital costs, about your, your, your initial capital costs, you, you would be crazy. You know, same thing with, with controlled, atmosphere kill, uh, uh, controlled atmosphere killing for chickens. This is another big campaign that people have um, in, uh, in, in the United States right now. They're trying to get uh, these fast food outlets to go with uh, controlled atmosphere killing or controlled atmosphere stunning rather than electric stunning of chickens. Now, if you were starting um, a, a chicken uh, operation uh, today, uh, you would be irrational not to go with controlled atmosphere killing because economically it's much better on, in all sorts of ways for producers than is, than is the electrical stunning method. So, so what I'm saying is, these, and what many of us are saying, is that these, these welfare reforms are really providing, I mean, you know, these are, the things that are being attacked are economically inefficient. They're on their way out anyway. And when they change, what we're going to have is a new system which will be economically beneficial for the producers, may provide minuscule – and I say may, 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 may – may provide minuscule benefits, welfare benefits for the animals. But the idea that these welfare reforms are minimizing – that's a word that is used – that they're minimizing – um, animal suffering, or that they are eliminating the worst abuses of factory farming. That is fantasy, that is myth, that is nonsense. And, and so what is happening is the welfareists won't engage that argument. They keep coming back and saying, if you criticize welfare reform, you don't care about the suffering of animals now. And the answer is that's nonsense. It's we don't think that the welfare reform that you're, that you're proposing is doing anything to help animals now and we think there is an alternative which is which is not only more effective as a practical matter but is consistent with the idea that we have no moral justification for using animals however how may, uh, however humanely we do it and that is vegan education
And, 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 um, you know, and then we, you know, people, you know, but, but look, I think your listeners should go to my face is on fire, post the link and, and let them, let them read the exchange and judge for themselves as to who is, which side is producing the substantive arguments and what side is, 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 is producing, um, you know, uh, uh, a lot of smoke. Um, and, and, you know, no one's no one's no one is making value judgments about welfare reformists. I'm sure that they have, you know, I'm sure that at least, you know, many of them, perhaps most, perhaps all of them. I don't know. I mean, I, you know, that's not the point. I'm sure that they they sincerely believe in what they're doing, and I sincerely believe they're wrong. But I'm not expressing an opinion. I'm making arguments. And what is interesting is the woman who wrote the the blog essay on my face is on fire. She was expressing arguments. She was she was making arguments. She was giving reasons. She wasn't expressing opinions. She wasn't saying I like, you know, this form of art better than that form of art. She was saying I think this position that the welfare is taking the welfare are taking is wrong and here are the reasons why it's wrong. And and they don't deal with those arguments. They just come back and they say you're vilifying, you're bashing, you're this, you're that. And I think it's really really important that we understand that um this isn't a debate about personalities or about moral integrity or about anything else. It's a question about, um, you know, effectiveness. We are, well, yeah, yes, but it's it's a question of effectiveness in a context of we are killing in this country alone. I don't know, twelve, thirteen billion animals a year. Uh, the number ten billion, which I was using a few years ago, is actually. It's actually wrong. It's actually more. Um, and worldwide, we're killing what fifty-three billion a year, not including fish and other other aquatic uh, animals. I mean, that's an extraordinary number of animals. And and the, the amount of suffering and death is just it's it's hard to even wrap your head around. And and so the the question becomes, what do we do about it? And and what I suggest is the the perspective that I present as the abolitionist approach is simply qualitatively different from the I mean, it's not a question that you know sort of we all see the same thing and so why are we arguing with each other the answer is no we don't all see the same thing <laughs> we know we see this as we see this in a very very different way and and i think it's it's just very very important to see that um there are really very different things going on here and that the welfareists uh and, and you know I don't want to. I don't want to bore your listeners, so I'll try. And just if it, if if you start nodding off because you're getting <laughs> bored, then just let's like yell or something. Um, and and uh, uh, and I'll I'll stop. But you see, I think that there's a fundamental philosophical difference which drives us in different directions. And let's look at the primary theorist of the of the, uh, the, the, the reformist approach, the, the new welfarist, the protectionist, whatever you want to call it, approach. And that's Peter Singer. Now, Peter Singer's view is that we, we ought to do whatever we can to reduce suffering and that, um, we, and, and that animals, the problem is the way we treat animals, not that we use animals. Because Singer does not believe, like most of the utilitarians, I mean, Singer's in sort of a long line that started with Jeremy Bentham and John Stuart Mill in England in the 19th century. And Peter Singer's sort of the latest, you know, he's just the latest uh, version of these, these people. And, 
And all of the utilitarians took the position that we ought to be concerned about animal suffering, but that animal use itself didn't raise a question because animals are not self-aware in the same way humans are self-aware. So therefore, they don't have an interest in their lives in the same way that humans have an interest in their lives. So therefore, they don't care that we kill them. They care how we treat them and how we kill them. So Singer's view basically, and Singer said this. I mean, I quote this in stuff I've written. You can find this stuff and, you know, it's not, it's not that it's any secret. But Singer has been very, very open about saying, look, I, I, it, it may be okay to eat animals who have had a, re, you know, a, a pleasant life and a relatively painless death because they live in an eternal present. They don't really care. You know, he, he sort of echoes Bentham's views that they don't really care that we're using them. They care how we use them. That is based, that's the basic philosophical issue that drives the welfareist position. I disagree with that completely. Look, I, I have no doubt that animal self-awareness is probably, you know, non-human self-awareness is probably different from human self-awareness simply because our self-awareness is linked with uh, language, symbolic communication. And so, you know, the concepts that I have in my head, and I don't know whether they're the same concepts you have in your head because they have no access to your head, but, um, you, you know, but, but I mean, we don't know what goes on in each other's minds. We don't really know. I mean, we have, we have, we, 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 we guess. Um, but, but, um, I, I, I suspect that what goes on in the minds of, of animals is probably different because, their interpretation of of what goes you know of of what they see what they hear what they experience is different because they don't have the linguistic concepts that we have however putting that aside my my response is to, you know my comment to that is who cares um yeah they may not be self-aware in the same way that we're self-aware but they are certainly self-aware they're just self-aware in a different way that's all and and so i disagree with the fundamental philosophical uh, notion which drives, you know, I mean, I, I have no doubt that non-human animals have, have, and, you know, uh, whether insects do or not, I don't really know, but all of the animals that we routine, I don't, I don't kill insects, um, at least not intentionally, um, but certainly all of the animals we routinely exploit on a day-to-day -day basis, the chickens, the pigs, the cows, the, you know, the whatever, you know, the fish, they are all self-aware in the morally relevant way in that they have an interest in continuing to live. They prefer, they desire, they want to continue to live. So this basic, you know, so the basic philosophical issue which drives the welfareist theory is something I disagree with. Now, the other part of, of the welfareist uh, theory is that you, you should always reduce suffering uh, whenever you can. Now, that sounds good, but let me give you an example of where you see the sort of the, the let's assume that um, that uh, we have someone who's being tortured, and um, we've got this person strapped into a chair, and we are delivering electric shocks, very very painful electric shocks to this person. Now, is it better for this person to be seated or tied into a comfortable um, padded chair, or is it better for this person to be? Uh, tied into a very uh, hard chair while this person is being tortured. Now, I, I, fi I find that to be a somewhat dumb question, but, but, but nevertheless, it sort of teases – the answer is, well, I guess if you, a if you asked me that question in that context, I would think you were a very strange person. But I, I would say to you, um, well, I guess, Elizabeth, it's better that the person is in a comfortable chair um, and, and, um, you know, rather than a hard chair. But I have a basic problem with what we're doing here in the first place, and it sort of 
trivial to ask whether or not the person should be in a, a, a soft chair or a hard chair. I feel the same way about these welfare reforms. When someone says to me, um, you know, do you think battery cages, you know, don't you think that cage-free is better than battery cages? And the answer is, well, it's hard for me to know because I've seen both and I think they're both horrible. I mean, they're both hideous. I mean, you know, the idea, this, the whole cage-free, it's interesting use of language because it's sort of, it's sort of, um, it, it, it entails or implies this notion of freedom. You know, they're cage-free. They're not. They're in, they're in one large cage. They're in a huge barn. They're all crawling over each other. They're all, you know, they're all urinating on each other. They're all defecating on each other. You know, they're, all, they're, they're, still, they're, still, being, they're still being debeaked because they're in these in, in hideously intensive conditions and they'll fight. They'll, you know, they're, 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 they're still being – there's forced molting going on. Um, and they all end up in, in the slaughterhouse. I mean it's, it's like – does it involve less torture than the battery cage? And the answer is, let's assume it does. To the extent that it does, it's like talking about whether or not you got a, you're better off with a padded chair when you're being tortured or whether you're better off on a hard chair. And so this is, this is the basic – these are the basic disagreements. This is not a you – know, these are legitimate disagreements. And what I find frustrating and what I think is so wonderful – as an example of what I'm talking about is, is um, the uh, My Face is on Fire blog and the, the subsequent comments because what happens, what you see is a complete unwillingness on the part of the welfareist to engage the, the discussion and to simply rely on catchphrases on almost like a cult-like way. It's like, well, you know, uh, you don't care about animals. You're vilifying. You're bashing. You're, you know, you know. How can you attack so and so? How can you? It's, it's, it's a bunch of stock phrases which have no substance and which do not engage the fundamental, theoretical and practical, strategic questions which are being raised. These things are very, very important, and 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 we shouldn't put them aside. Something else that happens uh, that you see in this um, in this uh, uh, hundred uh, email exchange, which is quite interesting, is. Um, is you see um, people saying, yeah, but, but people aren't going to become vegan overnight. And the answer is, I would like to know who has ever said that they are. Because I get this all the time. They say, well, you know, Professor Francione, people aren't going to be, become vegan overnight. And the answer is, um, whoever said that they were. Um, I certainly never have said that. As far as I know, you've never said that. And as far as I know, nobody has ever said that who advocates the abolitionist approach. Um, and I, you know, I, I, people say to me frequently, well, Professor Francione, um, you, know, it's, it, you're just, you, you live in an ivory tower. You think everyone's going to become vegan tomorrow. And the answer is um, no, I don't think everyone's going to become vegan tomorrow. And two, I don't live in an ivory tower. Yes, I, I make my living uh, as a professor. That is true. But um, I have been uh, actively involved um, for much of my adult life um, as a legal advocate for animals uh, and animal advocates. Uh, I have been in the trenches, as it were, and it's a result of being in the trenches and seeing how ineffective animal welfare regulation is that led I, look Elizabeth I started off as a welfareist I mean I started off as we all did in many ways in certain ways you know if you go back to the 19 early 1980s when there really what people weren't really talking about rights versus welfare I mean it was um it was sort of a uh, you know it was actually sort of the, the 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 distinction was those there was some of us who were vegans way back then, 
and who thought that nobody should be consuming animals. And then there were people who were, who were consuming animals and thought that they should be treated better. But we didn't really sort of distinguish. We, it, it, that only happened sort of later in the 1980s as people started thinking more about these things and focusing on the questions and where, where, where strategy needed to be mapped out in terms of where we were going to go in the future. And then then disagreements started emerging about well should we you know should we go for regulation or should we go for something else you know should we go should we try to you know other other methods and and other approaches and so but but it certainly i mean you know, had you asked me in the early 1980s, well, do you support welfare reform? I would have said, yes, yeah, sure, I do. Um, you know, as part of this overall, you know, this is how we're going to march into the future. It's going to be, you know, and I didn't realize until sort of later on in the 1980s, um, probably 80, well, I don't know, mid 80s, when it became absolutely clear to me, and then it, and then it, then it just got, you know, became more and more clear to me that. Welfare regulation was never going to lead us anywhere except to more exploitation. That is, I was—I guess I was—I was—I was what I call a new welfareist. I believe that welfare regulation would lead in the right direction. It may not be what I liked in the in the short term, but it would lead in the right direction. But then it became clear to me: a, that was philosophically unsound because if animal use is wrong, then we ought to say it's wrong and not support uh, regulation as a as a moral matter. But it was strategically and practically unsound in that it didn't work. And and um, and so, you know, I think that um, uh, uh, you know this this idea that you know that that I or you or anybody else is saying, well, you know, we expect veganism overnight. The answer is that's nonsense. Look, people, a lot, some people, a lot of people are going to continue to eat animal products. Whatever we do, a lot of people are going to do that. So the question becomes, how do we best respond to that? And my answer to that is we need, if we're ever going to change things, we need to shift the paradigm away from the idea that animals are things that we can use as long as we use them in a particular way. And that we got to get away from that. And we have to realize that morally that's a problematic position to take. But we also have to realize that strategically it's a problematic position to take because animals are economic commodities. And because they're economic commodities and because of basic basic laws of economics, particularly in a world in which we have what is called free trade, which is basically, you know, you, well, you know what free trade is. I mean, it's, yeah. it, it, it's um, and, and in a world in which we have free trade, because animals are chattel property and have only economic value, to the extent that we, that we were to have regulations that actually did have an impact and provided significant welfare benefits to animals, it would raise the price of those, an, of those animal products considerably. And that would then um, have economic effects. For example, if, if, if um, uh, there's well, – if country X has higher welfare standards and, and the price of animal products in country X is, are higher, let's assume hypothetically that happens, what will then happen is the animal products will be imported from other countries that have the lower welfare standards because you can't stop those imports under these free trade agreements. You can't, you can't interfere with the imports of those, of those products. And number one. Number two, to the extent that, that, that um, you were even to get other nations to sort of raise, you know, raise their welfare standards in ways that affected, that significantly affected price, consumers would would go crazy and they would be very, very unhappy because, and demand would fall and that would make producers unhappy. And because 
People may be willing to pay a couple cents more for a cage-free egg, and by the way, or an organic egg. And by the way, they're doing that not just for concerns about animal welfare, which aren't being satisfied health. by these alternatives. It's, it's health. It's people are concerned. They say, oh, you know, I got all these, you know, all these, all these hormones, all these antibiotics. It's very, very much health. Don't kid yourself. Mm -hmm. But people may be willing to pay a couple cents more for an organic egg or for a, for a, um, you know, for a cage-free egg or something because they think it's healthier or for organic meat because they think it's healthier. But the vast majority of people are not going to pay higher prices for, for animals that have been raised in situations in which there are significant welfare reforms involved. I haven't seen any of those yet, by the way. But, I mean, assuming hypothetically that such a thing occurred, people would, res would respond to it badly. Why would they respond to it badly, Elizabeth? Because they're – their heads and hearts aren't prepared for it yet um, because the paradigm hasn't shifted. People don't yet really assign inherent value to animals. And, and so as a result, that's not going to work as a practical matter. And so this is what I think we've really got to confront. And what is so wonderful about, about the uh, My Face is on Fire uh, a blog and the responses is – this the, the writer of the essay responsibly, coherently, intelligently lays these issues out. I mean, not all of these issues. I mean, she, she's basically saying, look, this is just not the right way to go. And she makes some arguments. She presents them in a very, very, uh, I think, responsible, professional way. And she ends up getting this sort of, you know, dumped on, like, you know, how dare you, you know, how dare you, you know, and you don't care about animals and you just, you know, I, I would rather help animals than, than bash other ad advocates or, you know, crap like that. And it just drives you nuts. So, so I think it's, it's very, very important to, to sort of recognize really what's going on here and recognizing that this is not just all big one movement. You know, I'm, I, I, I really, I don't, I find it very, um, disheartening or disconcerting when uh, one of the people who, who responded to that essay, well, more than one, but people suggested that this was just squabbling, that animal people were squabbling. And the answer is, no, 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 no. That's not what this is about. You know, squabbling is um, when, uh, you know, you and I are going to go to a movie and, you know, you want to see one movie and I want to see another movie and there's really nothing. It's not that, you know, it's I have life a and death. It's, it's not, it's not a, I don't have a philosophical problem with your movie and you don't have a philosophical problem with my movie. It's just, you know, you like uh, one, you know, actor more than I like another actor. You like one type of film more than I like it. That's squabbling, Elizabeth. Um, when you are talking about fundamental moral issues about whether or not, you know, should should I be should I be advocating against rape or should I be advocating for humane rape? You know, if you're going to rape somebody, please don't beat that person. You know, let's have humane rape. Let's have a campaign. That's not a matter of squabbling. Those are fundamentally, philosophically and strategically, pragmatically very different positions to take. You could say the same thing about rape, Elizabeth, because, you know, the animal people are always saying that that um, animals are going to continue to be exploited. Well, I got news for you. Women are going to continue to be raped. It's probably one of the most common. Um, common crimes, common crimes that goes on in the world is rape. It's been going on forever. It'll go on forever as long as there's patriarchy and as long as there's the inequality that we have in our society, which basically, um, which basically as, a, as a matter of social construction, makes that possible. Yeah, um, we're trying makes, to change all that too. It's all about yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. And so, so, you know, you could say the same thing about rape. rape. There's rape going on right now, very violent rapes going on all over the world. 
So, so Elizabeth, let's form an organization. You know, the you know the Humane Rape Society of the United States and New Zealand. Well, it'll be an international endeavor. And and let's let's sort of you know let's let's start working with the rapists and let's say you know blah 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 blah. And 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 you know, obviously that's absurd. Nobody would think that. You know, I mean, nobody nobody would or should think of that as a serious option. But I suggest that it's only our speciesism. Yes. That gets in the way of our seeing that that's exactly what we're doing. Exactly when we're when we're talking about when we're talking about the animal uh, uh, situation. It's just it just makes no sense. No, now and I'm going to take a breath. And I'm going to take a breath. <laughs> okay. Well, I want to respond. Good timing. Um, one of the things I noticed was a lot of people said, and I've heard this a lot too, is, "Look, I'm an abolitionist, but you know, I support what these guys are doing." And they start to say, um, you know, you're. They start to say you're elitist and things. And I think that you hit the nail on the head with what you just said about it's the speciesism because people, even people who claim to really, genuinely want to end this suffering and genuinely care about animals, they must be speciesists to say something like that because they would never say that with regards to rape. Right, just like you said. So I will. I just cannot, to my core, even begin to even go anywhere near promoting anything but abolition and ending it. And this is wrong, and that's it. I cannot, as a core belief, because I feel the same way about it as I do about rape, as I do about child molestation. So I don't think you can say that you are an abolitionist. Um, and I, I saw a lot of people say, I'm an abolitionist. Um, you know, I, I want to end the, I want to be an abolitionist. That, that's what I was talking about. There's a lot of that. And I hate, you know, labels and words and, and playing with words and all that. But the bottom line is you hit it right on the head. Really fundamentally speaking, I hate to say this, but I get the impression that those people unwittingly are also speciesist. Well, um, no, I, I think, you're you're accurate, and I don't think that I think I think that that's an accurate analysis. As a matter of fact, um, I am sending off to the publisher today a book uh, called uh, "The Animal Rights Debate: Abolition or Regulation," which I co-wrote with Professor Robert Garner of uh, University of Leicester in the United Kingdom. And I argue in favor of abolition, and Robert argues uh, in favor of um, uh, he he takes a position I call new welfareist. He, his, he he characterizes it as protectionist, but he takes a position that you know he'd like to see a lot of things abolished, uh, but he thinks that welfare reform is the way to get there. I explain why I think that that doesn't work. But what comes out in the book is that Robert and I have a fundamental, and he actually acknowledges this, um, that we have a fundamental moral disagreement in that he believes that that human life has greater moral value than non-human life and 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 it has to do with the, the the differences in our cognition that you know we're smarter than they are we're you know we have a greater sense of ourselves we have a we have a stronger sense of personhood and i keep coming back to him and you'll see in the book uh, i come back and i say we may have a different concept of personhood but it doesn't mean that our concept of personhood is superior and i have a problem with this because i do, i agree i think it is speciesist i think what we're doing is and why is it speciesist Be, it's speciesist because we are privileging our form of cognition. We're saying we have a certain way of looking at the world. And you know what's really interesting is that even people who are rights advocates, which is why I, I call my approach the abolitionist approach to animal rights to distinguish it from other approaches. For example, um, Tom Reagan, who is a rights advocate, and he is, I mean, he clearly is a rights advocate, but Tom 
takes this position, which is very troubling to me. He believes that that humans have greater opportunities for satisfaction than non-humans. And, and so that if we're on the boat, you know, we're on the mythical lifeboat, and we have to throw over the dog or the human, he believes we're morally obligated to throw over the dog because, you know, if it's a normal dog and a normal human, the, 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 the human's got greater opportunities for satisfaction. Now, I, you know, one of the things I like about non-human animals is they don't think in those terms. Um, but but what, I, what, I would, what I would say in that, to that situation is I live with four rescued dogs, um, and I, we've had up to seven. Uh, three died, and, and now we're, we're just, we're, you know, we have four, and we're sort of at four right now. We'll probably go up in the future. But, um, but uh, I watch those. I live with those dogs. I, I observe their behavior every day. I'm fascinated by their behavior. And you know what? Um, I think it's simply wrong, and I say this in the book. I have a border collie. Her name is Katie Jane. She is a remarkable dog, and um, they're all remarkable. Uh, but but uh, and they're all different personalities. All have different personalities because they are persons. They're not. They're non-human persons. And and um, the idea. I mean, Katie seems to get such joy out of everything that she does in her life. However trivial it may seem to me, it she seems to have grand time doing everything. Now. If you tell me that I've got greater uh, opportunities for satisfaction than Katie does, I suggest that empirically may be wrong. Um, I, I certainly don't. I certainly don't see how that that's clear. <laughs> I mean, it, it, you know, I mean, I, who is to say that um, she doesn't have greater, you know, uh, 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 joy in her life and more opportunities for satisfaction than I have in my life because most human beings that I know, you know, are, have anxieties and we're, you know, the depressions and all sorts of things. I mean, you know, we may have opportunities. We don't take them. Um, yeah, and, I and personally so- think animals are enlightened and I try to learn by watching them enjoy life because I think that we, we have lost a lot of enlightenment. <laughs> I, I agree with that. I agree with that. I agree with that very, very strongly. And so I think I think that you know we need to to really sort of um, uh, um, you, you know we need to focus on. You are right. You're not. You're correct to say that the welfareist position is speciesist. It is, um, and that's not again. That's not attacking I'm not them. Co- no, I'm not. not. I mean, you're not calling them a name. I'm not calling them a name. I'm saying that. Their notion that it's all right to use animals as long as we do so uh, humanely or without, you know, in a particular sort of way, as long as we treat them all right, it's all right for us to use them because they have, they're different from us. They don't have minds that are similar to us. I suggest that speciesist because, first of all, I think empirically that may, you know, well, there are differences, but I, I, don't, I don't see how those differences translate into moral license to use without a speciesist premise that's embedded in there. So I think you're absolutely right. And and I wanted to to say something else about well I want let, let's go back to this notion about about vegan education. The 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 question is, you know, some people, many people are going to continue to eat animals. So what are we going to do about it? Are we going to tinker at the edges of death and sort of say, okay, fine, people are going to continue to torture people, so let's have campaigns for, for you know, soft chairs. Women are going to continue to, to you know, women and children are going to continue to be abused uh, and battered, so why don't we go for a humane battery? Or are we going to say, look, 
this is fundamentally wrong and we ought to stop it. We ought to stop it because it's wrong. The idea that it can be done humanely is is wrong. Um, there's, you know, it, it, it that we need to confront this and shift the paradigm and think about why is it that we think all of us agree with the pro, with the notion that it's wrong to inflict unnecessary suffering on animals. Everybody agrees with that. Why don't we see? Why can't we see that if necessity, if we really believe that, and most of us do. Why can't we see that if it means anything, it means we can impose pain, suffering, and death for reasons of pleasure, amusement, or convenience, and whatever other gray areas that may raise that we need to talk about further. The bottom line is it requires that we stop eating and wearing them and using them for entertainment purposes and sport purposes and all sorts of – right away. Those are, those, are no, those are no-brainers. You don't need a complicated philosophical theory. Um, to come to that conclusion. As a matter of fact, as I said before, the only thing that's complicated, and again, I'm totally opposed to the use of all animals in experiments, but the only use of animals that is not transparently trivial is the use of animals in biomedical experiments um, to cure serious human illnesses. I don't think it can be morally justified, but I think that requires a little bit more complicated discussion. Everything else is a is a, is a, is a you know, no-brainer. I mean, it's a no-brainer. And so that's what I think we ought to be educating people about. And my the, the response I get is overwhelming. I mean, just yesterday, I, you know, I, I posted a blog yesterday, yesterday called The Revolution of the Heart. And I got, um, so far, about I don't know, 15 emails from people saying, I just wanted to let you know that as a result of reading your blogs and, you know, or reading one of your books or watching one of the videos on your thing, I become a, ve- I become a vegan. And I'm telling you, vegan education can be very effective if people are made to understand these issues in a clear way. The problem is, is they're getting confused because on one hand, you know, they have these, an- these large animal groups um, saying to them, well, you know, in an ideal world, we wouldn't eat meat, but it's okay for us to be conscientious omnivores, you know, today. And so, go and buy cage-free eggs, and go and buy, you know, uh, uh, you know, these labeling schemes are horrible. That you know that that all of the organizations uh, are supporting, uh, you know, these you know humane this and humane that. You know, and it's giving people the wrong idea, and it's sending a mixed, crazy, confused message. If the message is clear, people will respond to it. Will everybody respond to it? Absolutely not. Will a lot of people respond to it? Absolutely. And so, so, and so the bottom line is why, given that there are people out there that we can reach, why aren't we reaching them? Why aren't we putting our resources and speaking with one voice into reaching them? Because the more of those people that we get, the more of those people that we can convince, the more we will shift the paradigm and the more that we will shift the thinking in the society. And I want to I make one final point, and that is this. One idea that comes out a lot in the comments, and I've been you know, dealing with this for years and years now uh, with uh, welfare reform people, is they say, why are you arguing with us? Go argue with the really evil people, the, the, the exploiters. And I always get a kick out of that because my response to that is always, by the way, I'll be happy to. Tell me who are the exploiters? Because, because you know, we, we like to demonize you know, the, the factory farmers and the vivisectors and the furriers and whatnot. But you know what? And I don't, you know, obviously I don't agree with what they're doing. But why are they doing it? They're not doing it. I mean, yeah, there may be, there may be, there may be 
some some of these people might do it because they're really sadistic people, and they derive in a truly in a, in, in a literal way, and they derive some sort of erotic satisfaction out of torturing things. Uh, and it's it's uh, illegal to do it with animals, uh, so they there may be some of those people. I I I think that if there are such people, they are in a very very small 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 minority. That the farmers. The vivisectors, the furriers, the the everybody else's, um, they are people who are like you and me trying to make a living, and you know they may they may they may be you know they they may you know be be doing it on a grander scale or whatever, but they're trying to make a living and they're responding to demand. People eat animals, so there will be as long as people are demanding the product, there will be people investing their capital in providing that product, and and. Um, you know, and so I think that we have to understand something that we are the problem, not they. They are responding to our demand, and and you know it's really interesting. I just love when these, particularly these these um, more traditional welfare reform, well, all of them, I mean, more traditional, less traditional. I mean, PETA claims that you know only half of its uh, half of its uh, membership is vegetarian, and and, and I, I guess that means that that not even that half is all vegan, but the other half isn't vegetarian. Um, who are the exploiters? Well, you know, if you take the abolitionist approach, then, um, you know, uh, you start looking to the fact that, you know, yeah, you got people who are, who are um, your donors who are contributing to you. They're exploiting animals because they're not vegans. They're continuing to go and buy these products. They're continuing to generate the demand for these products. They're exploiters. They're the ones who are generating the demand that is being met by the institutional exploiters. So I think we've really got to sort of focus on the fact that, you know, demonizing the farmers and sort of like, you know, let's go after the real enemies, the farmers, let's go after the real enemies, the vivisectors. That's, I'm sorry, that's, that's soy-based baloney. Um, you know, it is, it, it's, it's, it's just crazy to say that. And, and um, this is why, this is, I mean, I'm, I, as you know, I, I, um, I believe very strongly in the principle of ahimsa or nonviolence. Um, and, and, um, I'm very, very committed to that. Um, and, and, and so I don't believe in any sort of violence, but, but one of the many reasons, um, apart from my, my, my commitment to Ahimsa, um, it's one of the reasons why I get very, very upset with animal advocates who advocate violence against, uh, animal institutional animal exploiters, because, it, it, it's why I mean, what sense does that make? I mean, these people, many of these people, are themselves not vegan. Many of these people have families that aren't vegan, and many of these people are, in, you know, have donors that are not vegan. And many of these people, have, you know, and and so th- those people are exploiting. They're they themselves who are, if they're not vegan, are exploiters. Their family members, their friends, their donors, their close, you know, whatever, their lovers, they're not, they're not. They're exploiting. So why is it that we demonize the institutional exploiter? And the answer is because it's convenient and it, and it, helps, it helps to sort of stir up passion and irrational thinking, which is what all of this stuff is. And so, so I really think that it's important that we try to think clearly about these, these things. And we really see that, um, that this, this is um, a complicated situation and we've got to – do better at thinking our way out of it. And we're not doing a very good job of thinking our way out of it.
And uh, indeed, that blog, uh, uh, the responses to that blog really sort of indicate the sorts of levels of confusion that we're talking about here. And, and I think that we really do need to, um, you know, to, to, to rethink these issues. I totally agree. I wanted to get back to one of the things that you said about, um, I know that singers uh, philosophy is utilitarian and it's okay to use them. I also want to address, um, in my very short experience, people who would disagree with that themselves. And these are the people that I'm saying are unwitting speciesists, in my opinion, that I've come up to, because they wouldn't agree with what you said about that. They'd say, that's not me. I don't think it's okay that we use them. I think it's terrible that we use them, but they've, number one, they've, give, they've given up on something that hasn't even been tried, which is Let's right. keep it real and let's talk about veganism. They've completely underestimated. So not only are they being speciesist against the animals to think that it's even excusable. If you do believe that to your core and you are so dedicated that you feel that, you know, you know that it's wrong, you're a vegan and yet you will still compromise on your message. I believe that you are being speciesist and you're letting that you're not fulfilling what you believe anyway. So that's completely mistaken. Number two, you are being elitist. And we get a lot of comments about this elitistness. Excuse me, who's being elitist? You're giving up. You're saying nobody's going to go vegan. So, you know, the animals are just going to have to keep getting eaten. And at least they can stretch their legs out. Um, you're being elitist to the entire human race because you're completely underestimating them because this hasn't even been tried. And you're being species to the animals because it's absolutely unacceptable. It is unacceptable if you believe as strongly as I do that it's wrong what we're doing to compromise on the message at all in this elitist way to the rest, and that is what bothers me. I, I, I think there's a lot of uh, you know a lot of people who are supporting these reforms who, like a lot of the ones I read, they're like I'm you know I you know they wouldn't agree with what Singer says themselves. No, I don't think animals should be used. I, I think animals do have an interest in continued in continuing life. I think that they are cognitively aware. I think that their lives do matter to them as much as our lives matter to us, but nobody's going to go vegan overnight, but this is what's working. Well, that to me is the worst kind of speciesist. I mean, I would rather deal with the utilitarian because I wouldn't even bother with them, but these are the people who I think are really confused and are confusing the general public because they're saying, I'm an animal lover. I love animals. Well, I, that's the ones that bother me, and I think there's a lot of them around, Gary, who d wouldn't even be able to relate to what you're saying about Singer. Well, I, look, I agree. I agree with you. I think that there are, you know, look. Um, I think that there are a lot of people who are confused about this, but that's because we live in an age of confusion. Even though we have all of this technological stuff and we have all these great ways of communicating each other, and we have Twitter, Twitter, whatever it's called, Facebook, and all that stuff. The bottom line is, most of us. Um, have not really honed our thinking skills or our critical skills very very much because we're all overwhelmed in many ways. We're all overwhelmed with the data that's coming in. We're all overwhelmed by all sorts of things. Um, and I agree with you that there's a lot of confusion out there. And I also agree with your analysis about elitism because I think that there's nothing that is more elite than thinking that we are superior, we're morally superior to animals, so therefore it's all right for us to use them. I think that, that, that the whole fundamental philosophical premise of, 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 uh, of um, uh, the welfareist perspective, the welfareist approach, is itself elitist. I agree with you, it is elitist to say that human beings are incapable of understanding this message. They're all just a bunch of you know, dumbos that are going to continue to eat animals no matter what we say. The answer is, well, that's elitist. Um, and as far as, you know, I, I, look, you know, one of the problems with the movement or whatever you want to call it, the, this phenomenon, um, is that people don't read anything. 
And so, you know, <laughs> uh, they don't read anything. So it's like, you know, yeah, they don't. You're right. You know, they, I wouldn't agree with Singer. That's because they all own Animal Liberation, but, you know, very few of them have ever read it. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, I mean, animal, animal people buy books. Um, they have great collections of books, but very few of them read them, and um, and and that's a problem. I mean, people really do need. Uh, I mean, one of the one of the reasons why I started the um, the website www.evolutionistsapproach.com is to try to sort of get the ideas out there in these bite-sized ways, so that people can. You know, people can sort of get the ideas in, in you know, in, in a couple of minutes of reading because it was clear to it's clear to me. I mean, you know, it, it, if I had five cents for everybody who's you know who says, well, you know, does Singer's a rights person, isn't he? And you say, no, no, actually, he actually he actually rejects the concepts of rights because the concept of rights because he's a utilitarian, and utilitarians um, reject the notion of moral rights for philosophical reasons. And 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 they say, gee, you know. I didn't know that. I said, "Well, did you have you have Animal Liberation?" Well, yeah. Did you ever read it? No. Um, and so, so that's that's the problem. And so, you know, what we've we're really what we've ended up uh, is, you know, we we ended up in a very sort of strange way. You know, things change, things change, but they 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 stay the same. You know, in the medieval times, in the medieval times. The Catholic Church used to sell indulgences. You know, people used to do really horrible things, but they could go to the church and they could buy their way out of hell by making a contribution to the church. And and now we have something called you know the animal welfare establishment, which sells indulgences. And you know, it says you know, look, you know, uh, it, you want to continue if you want to be a conscientious animal, where that's fine. You know, give us a donation, and you know, and we'll you know give you absolution. And and so you know, we're you know, as I mentioned in my blog essay yesterday, you know, we're selling shares of you know share, shares of cage free compassion, basically. And and that's a, a, a you know a, a, a fundamentally messed up situation. And I think it's but you know again things change you know from medieval times to now, but they remain the same. Now we sell we're selling indulgences of a different kind, and and you know we're now we're we're facing this enormous moral challenge of animal exploitation. Fifty three billion, not counting fish and other aquatic animals, being being you know horribly tortured and slaughtered every year simply because they taste good but the response to that is you know not to not to express moral you know moral objection and not to try to convince other humans that this is simply not the right thing to do and that we you know it, it, as a moral matter and as a practical matter it simply doesn't work um in and, and you know there are all sorts of other issues that i think are are secondary but nevertheless they're there environmental issues and health issues and whatnot but the but you know is the response that or is the response let's sell indulgences and cage-free compassion give us your money and you can continue doing what you want to do and 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 you know and you can feel good about it morally and that's exactly what's going on here but in any event listen i've got i have got to i've got a little bit of work to finish up to get my book off uh you know just because it, because you know you have to you have to get it in you know I have to put it on discs. Oh, congratulations! And make well, we'll talk Thank about you. it when it comes back out. Thank you. you. Columbia out. University Press is publishing it. Uh, it'll probably be out. I hope this fall. Um, it may be late. To, well, it depends on how long the the process takes. Um, sometimes they go through faster. Sometimes they go through slower. Um, but uh, but it's going to be a very interesting book. In the first part of the book. I argue the abolitionist approach. In the second part of the book, uh, Professor Garner argues the regulationist approach, and he argues that um, he, he argues precisely because he thinks. And I don't want to characterize uh, him, but I think this is fair. Uh, in any event, you'll be able to read the book and yes. you'll judge whether it's fair. Um, Robert's position is that um, animals have a right not to suffer, 
he doesn't dismiss rights. He says that animals have a right not to suffer, but they don't have a right not to be used because they are different from us and they don't have the same sort of uh, cognitive mental sophistication that we have. Uh, and then in the third part of in, in the third part of the book, he and I uh, go back and forth um, and discuss these these ideas. And he and he obviously thinks that animal welfare reform has provided great benefits. I don't. We discuss those issues. We discuss the American situation, the European situation, um, because some people think, well, things are wonderful in Europe, and the answer is that's not true either. Um, at least, not not from my perspective. Maybe from Robert's. Um, and so we go back and forth. I think it's an exciting book. I think people will like it. Uh, I think you know. And look, the bottom line here is, uh, I want to make I want to make uh, uh, two points. And one is, you've got. On one side, the abolitionist approach, and on one side, the welfarist approach. They are not, we're not all in the same pot, and it's just a matter of squabbling. These are fundamentally different ways of looking at the world. And I don't know whether, you know, I, I will persuade some people on the welfarist side to come over to the abolitionist side. Robert may persuade some people on the abolitionist side to come over to the welfarist side. But, but we're, we're not, the people, you know, um, I'm pretty confident of my views, and the and some of the welfareists are pretty confident of theirs. Um, so it's unlikely that you know that that some of these folks are going to pick up the book and and you know it's and say, gee, you know, Gary's been right all along, and and you know I'm going to become an abolitionist. Um, it, it's unlikely that some of the leaders of these organizations are going to say, gee, I'm going to I'm going to change. You know, it's a, I'm going to you know it's I'm not going to call it the Humane Society of the United States. I'm going to call it the Abolitionist Society of the United States. That's <laughs> That is that is unlikely. But there's a zillion people who are as yet undecided, who care about the issue and who don't know what to think about it. And those are the people that Robert and I are writing for. We're we're making the pitch to them. The final point I want to to raise with you is I want to go back to this idea. It is a revolution of the heart, and we must understand it as such. What we must understand is most of us subscribe to some spiritual tradition or other that condemns violence whether you're a christian whether you know whether you're a jew a muslim um or or as i am a jane whatever it doesn't really matter what you are you subscribe to some notion that nonviolence is 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 the is is an important spiritual principle. What we need to understand is what we are doing with non-human animals. You know, there may be issues of violence in the world which are complicated and where reasonable minds can differ. But when it comes to the slaughter of 53 billion animals where the best justification we have is they taste good, that fundamentally challenges us. Each of us who subscribes to some spiritual tradition that rejects violence, which basically means all of us. And, and um, you know, I think it's really very important. It's very, very, very important that we take a step back and look at whether or not the violence that we are inflicting on non-human animals is consistent with what we say we believe or whether we're just being hypocrites and if it's not consistent with what we believe to confront our hypocrisy to confront our moral schizophrenia and to stop and you know what i haven't had an animal product you know and i mean i i i consider i consider you know i mean i i i have not knowingly had an animal product in a long time years decades and my arms and legs haven't fallen off. I'm not blind. I'm not deaf. Um, and I'm in pretty good shape, at least as far as I know. And it is not necessary uh, for people to, to, to have animal products. 
Um, and it ends up being something we do simply because it tastes good. And that's like saying rape is justified because it feels good to the rapist. The rapist enjoys it. And, and that can't be right. And, and I'm not meaning to insult anybody by saying that animal exploitation is the same as rape. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to compare evils because pe- people always say to me, well, do you think that the, you know, that, 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 um, Rape is you know, child molestation and animal exploitation. Which do you think is worse? And that's, to me, as dumb as asking the question, do you think that it was worse that Hitler killed Romanies in addition to killing Jews? Was it worse to kill Jews than to kill Romanies? The answer is everything he did was horrible. It doesn't, you know, I mean, it's not, it's not a question, was it, was it worse to do this? Or, ranking evils is a, is, a, is a problematic thing to do. So all, but what I'm saying is, is that we really do need to take a step back and say – can we really justify this violence? You know, can we really justify this violence? And I think the answer that we will come up with is no, we cannot. And then the question becomes, what do we do? And the answer is simple. You go vegan. It's easy to do. It's simple to do. It's better for your health. It's better for the planet. And most importantly, it's the right thing to do. And that we all know that. It's just a question of teasing it out. That's our challenge. And I'm going to continue to step up to that challenge every single day that I am breathing. And, and um, you know, I, I never let a day go by without discussing this with somebody, whether it's somebody in a shopping, you know, line or whether it's somebody I meet in a video store or whether it's a student I have or whether it's, you know, whether it's a show like this or whatever. It doesn't matter. And I'm going to do another one of these this afternoon, which means I've really, really got to get off the phone. And it's probably, what is it, 3 o'clock in the morning with you now, 2.30 in the morning? Um, you're, 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 you have a lot of energy because you're a vegan. Uh, <laughs> and uh, anyway, thank you so much for thank having you. me. I, 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 uh, say, I, I send my finest regards to all of your listeners out there in New Zealand. Uh, I hope one day I will visit that beautiful country. Yes. And, uh, and thank you very much for having me. Thank you, Gary. It's been a pleasure as always. Can't wait to read the book. Okay, I hope you enjoyed the interview as much as I did. And I would uh, just like to mention that the blog which we were discussing, uh, to have a look at this commentary, which I really do recommend, is um, the blog site is called My Face is on Fire. And it is a blog spot um, blog. So it's my-face-is-on-fire.blogspot.com. So my face is on fire, just with dashes between them. My face is on fire. And the article we're talking about is called HSUS Paul Shapiro Reaches Out to Meat Industry. And you can go on there and have a read. Um, There's a lot of comments to read, and um, I certainly read every single one and learned a lot. And um, and I just I do think that it's a really valuable discussion. Um you know, I've always said I don't want to argue with other vegans about um, about these kinds of things. But um, if challenged, of course, and you know, I don't back down from my views. And if challenged, of course, I um, I, I I back up the view of of abolition for the, all the reasons that I keep saying over and over again. And I really just wish that we could all be united and you know just talk about um, veganism. Um, if you want to keep getting donations and dressing up in animal costumes. Okay, if you want to show videos of factory farming, but please, please, let's let's keep the message real and the truth. Let's let's educate people about the abolition of the use of all animals for all purposes, for all products. Let's educate people about veganism. 
united and you know we can we can um argue with each other about um personal differences later but um I really really hope um I really really hope I wish that we could all talk about veganism to people. I really believe from the bottom of my being it's the right thing to do and I believe that if you believe that animals should not be used and that we should be vegan and if you are vegan you should say that to everybody else and not be scared to do it. Nothing's going to change um unless we tell the truth. That is my sincere belief. All right, thanks for listening. Check out the blog, My Face is on Fire. It's actually a fantastic blog. There's everything on there, but um if you want to have a look at this um latest entry, there's a lot of commentary on there, but I do recommend just reading in general. It's a really wonderfully well-written and um objective viewpoint of somebody who is you know, we're all trying to end end the we're all trying to abolish the use of animals. Uh, let's do it um, effectively. All right, thanks for listening. I'll be back next week. And if you have any comments or uh, you want to email me, my email is nzveganpodcast at me dot com. And my blog spot address, and I'm going to put a link to this. Um, there's a link to this blog already, but I want to. Go, I'm going to put a link to that specific discussion in this episode's uh, description. And my blog is nzveganpodcast.blogspot.com. And I would like to thank once again, thank you, Professor Frenzio, for coming on. And I cannot wait to have you on the show again. And I hope that it's soon rather than later. And I'm very much looking forward to the book coming out. All right, I'll be back. Bye.